All right, let's pray together now, and uh, we'll start a Bible study time. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for your love for me, and I thank you for your guidance in my life. I pray, Father, that there'll be some things settled for some people here as they listen to this sermon, uh, both on the Internet possibly, but, but also, uh, more importantly, in the assembly of your people tomorrow morning uh, in, your, in your church. So, Father, help us to do well and help us to, to be guided by these things and to trust you in these things and give us peace and help us to learn the things that we need to learn. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. We're going to read verses uh, 3 through 8. So 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 8. We'll actually lead in with the very last sentence, which is only, what, five words from chapter 6, verse 2. And uh, this last sentence will be the, the launching point into uh, today's message. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at the very end of verse 2, it says this. Paul writes, Teach and exhort these things, meaning all the things so far in this letter that he's written to Timothy. Chapter 6 is the last chapter. So here's a bunch of teachings. Timothy, here's a bunch of really important things. You teach and exhort these things. But, verse 3, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, then he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. That is a powerful passage. This, this is a powerful passage that we're in, and I'm going to try to cover it in three basic points that will lead me uh, down kind of a broad approach. I think these points are broad enough that I can speak something meaningful uh, through the text uh, today. So point number one, <clears throat> these are a bit wordy. You know, these aren't like little one-word points here. Point number one, church teaching must echo Jesus and instructions that accord to godliness. So the teaching in the church has to echo Jesus with words that accord or that go along with godliness. Jesus' words are good and wholesome. Verse 3 says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent, does not uh, uh, surrender themselves, does not give their approval and their, their full-fledged support behind wholesome words, comma, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, wholesome words are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to doctrine which accords with godliness. So, Wholesome words, the, 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 the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and teaching that accords to godliness are all going together here. In other words, when we teach in the church, we are looking for the kind of teaching that falls into this one basic category. And this one category of teaching 
uh, can be described in terms of wholesomeness, in terms of echoing Jesus, you know, saying what Jesus said, and, uh, and teaching that accords with godliness, how to live out our lives in a way that's in accordance with God's Word. That's what godliness is. Godliness is living our lives in a way that is obedient to God's Word. Okay, so, so the teaching of the church has to be defined in, in that category, which has descriptions. And one of the descriptions is, as I said, wholesomeness. Jesus' words are wholesome. Some translations simply say sound. Uh, the idea here is healthy. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm recording this uh, after dinner. Uh, I did not eat a healthy dinner uh, tonight. Um, that's okay when it comes to your diet every once in a while. I probably... Uh, eat an unhealthy dinner more than every once in a while, so I should probably try to do better at that. But let me say, I've lived long enough, and I have experienced both healthy meals and unhealthy meals, and I know the difference. Uh, a unhealthy meal is a meal that leaves me feeling, you know, kind of, uh, of bloated and kind of, ugh, and, you know, not really energetic and not, you know, an unhealthy meal kind of weighs me down and does does ultimately uh, not helpful things to the way that I need to operate. But a, a healthy meal uh, leads me to, to uh, feeling energetic and enthusiastic, uh, leads me to feeling uh, uh, better and able to perform what I need to perform. We know the difference between a healthy meal and an unhealthy meal. Similarly, Timothy as a teacher and as a pastor in the church, he was expected to know the difference between wholesome teaching healthy teaching and unhealthy teaching. And the rest of us uh, who maybe aren't pastors in the church need to understand it not just in terms of healthy or unhealthy, but healthy is echoing Jesus. Healthy is teaching that leads people to live out godly lives. That's healthy. Unhealthy are, you know, uh, arguments and disputes over words. You know, there's nothing wrong with looking at the words in the text. You know, that's what we need to do. The text is made up of words. But unhealthiness is, is, is bickering and fighting over, over an interpretation of a word here or there when it's not about you know, any fundamental thing that has to do with echoing Jesus or godly living. Unhealthiness is you know, envy and strife and reviling and evil suspicions and, you know, factions and, and divisiveness, that's unhealthy. Those aren't wholesome words. It's unhealthy to tell people that Jesus said this, but what he really means is this. It's unhealthy to tell people, well, Jesus said a lot of good stuff, but here I've also got some other really good stuff that I think you need to hear. It's unhealthy to tell people things that contradict with Jesus. You know, it's unhealthy to tell people hey, you know, God wants to give you all of your, you know, desires and ambitions and He wants to make sure that you have the, the Hawaii vacation house and, and that you have the picture-perfect, you know, retirement and that, you know, you have the, the perfect little home in the, in the you know, well-to-do area of the neighborhood if, if one even exists. That's unhealthy because it's not true. It sounds good, but it's not true, so it's unhealthy. You know, it's, it's like uh, loading up on, uh, on carbs and sugar and things that it's, hey, it's, it tastes good. It feels good briefly. It'd be great if uh, these things were healthy, but they're not. They're not. It'd be great because it meets our appetite. But in fact, so much of what Jesus says 
condemns our appetite and tells us that you can't trust your appetite. You can't trust your own desires. They don't satisfy and fulfill. So, uh, you know, Paul is telling Timothy that good teaching must come from what Jesus said uh, that accords with godliness. In other words, good teaching must be spiritual. Good teaching is not about human wisdom. Here is Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Spirit teaches. There are a lot of uh, proverbs and wise sayings that you hear people you know, spout off from time to time, like nice guys finish last, that's one of them. Uh, you know, the, the early bird gets the worm, you know, that's, that's another one, and, and, uh, and on and on and on. There are all kinds of, there are all kinds of uh, humanly uh, wisdom, good-sounding principles that people uh, tell us we need to build our life on. Some of them may be practically accurate, some of them may not. That's not the kind of teaching we need in the church. We don't need human teaching in the church. We need spiritual teaching. Spiritual teaching comes from Jesus. Spiritual teaching comes from the Word of God. It leads people to godliness, to selflessness. It leads people to friendship, to brotherhood in the believer and the body of believers. It calls on people to do hard things in the name of service to our great God. You know, when Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when he says, you know, these things we speak not in man's wisdom, but uh, these are the things that the Spirit teaches. You know what he's talking about? That's right in the passage where he says, I've determined to know nothing among you except for Christ. Nothing among you except for Jesus. You know, And by the way, verse 12 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, these things we teach not, not in the wisdom of man, but, it, but, but in the wisdom of the Spirit of God. And he says, these things are freely given to us by God. Freely given to us by God. Which stands in contrast to the next subject here, where at the end of verse 5, these people who are teaching things they shouldn't teach are people who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But when you teach what the Bible says, when you teach the word of Jesus, you're teaching what God has freely given you can't teach what God has freely given with a mind, with a mind of getting rich off of it, with a mind of, of turning it into gain. And so these people aren't very successful in, uh, in earthly gain by teaching what God wants them to teach. So what do they do? They teach other things. Brings me to point number two. So point number one, church teaching echoes Jesus and instructions that accord with godliness. Point number two, withdraw from those who teach other things. Point number one, this is what church teaching is. Jesus, Bible, godliness, spiritual things. Point number two, withdrawal, Timothy. Take the people away from, retreat from people who are teaching other things. Uh, here we go. Uh, Paul says, uh, For the one who is proud knows nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words which come from envy, strife, reviling, evil suspensions, uh, suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who think, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. I'm going to make my mark in life. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get wealthy. I'm going to achieve if I can just, you know, find a way to teach people a new perspective of godliness, my own perspective of godliness. But you can't teach your own perspective of godliness. God 
1 Corinthians chapter 2 has already freely given us his wisdom. You can't go around charging people for it and get rich. And finally, the end of verse 5, Paul says, from such withdraw yourself. Withdraw. No, the church is not supposed to withdraw from sinners. We're supposed to go out and call sinners to repentance. The church is not supposed to draw, withdraw from the oppressed. We're supposed to stand with the oppressed. The church is not supposed to withdraw from those in need. We're supposed to reach out and help those in need. But the church is supposed to withdraw from people who just want to stir up trouble and controversies by arguing about their own interpretations of things that have nothing to do with what Jesus said and that won't, won't be successful to one-tenth of a degree in leading people into actual godliness. Withdrawal from these things. He says two things about these guys. They are proud and they know nothing. Verse 4 says they are proud and ignorant. I love this. This is from Matthew Henry's Bible commentary. Now listen to this. He writes, Commonly, those who are most proud know the least. For with all their knowledge, they do not know themselves. Commonly, those who are the most proud actually know the least because with all their knowledge that they have puffed themselves up with, they do not know themselves. This is the perfect summary for so many bad Bible teachers that I have encountered. These are often very intelligent, high IQ people. These are often very ambitious people very good and passionate speakers. Now, they have lots of passion. But they teach things that don't echo Jesus. They teach things that don't actually lead people to godliness. And they teach these things very proud of all of their great insight, knowledge, and wisdom, which doesn't come from God. It's their own ideas. And they teach these things, and they have no clue who they actually are. And sometimes other people see it much more clearly than they do. But they don't see it. They don't know themselves. You know, I, I know myself. I'm a sinner. I know myself. I get things wrong. I know myself, and I don't trust myself with all of my own little interpretations. There's a reason I read Bible commentaries and historical notes and, and the writings. There's a reason why I study the Scripture. I don't just stand and open the Bible and, and teach off the cuff. There's a reason because I know myself. I am flawed and I am, I, I am I'm sinful. And, and, and even when I have good intentions, I can still mess things up. I don't think for one second that I am even capable of coming up with some secret insight in the Bible that someone else hasn't come up with before. Let me tell you something. There is nothing new under the sun. What we have in God's Word is freely given to us. My job is to teach it, right? My job is just to teach what God has said, not to find some hidden meaning or hidden truth or secret thing that's going to lead to some special level of spirituality. My job isn't to find some special approach to God that's going to get all of our prayers answered. That's what you see so many people doing. My job is not to find some special way of talking to God in some special tongue that's going to suddenly get people a, a more passionate experience with God. You don't need that. What we need to know about life and godliness in Jesus is freely given to us. <laughs> These people are proud and ignorant. 
because for all of their supposed knowledge, they don't know themselves. And if they could look in a mirror and clearly see themselves, they would see a bunch of pride and personal ambition and self-conceit and not very much humble godliness. Not very much feet washing. Not very much take up the cross daily and follow Jesus. That's what I want to see in the mirror. And you know what? I'm a better Bible teacher when I look in the mirror and acknowledge that that's not always what I see. I am not a trustworthy source of information when it comes to God, except when I'm teaching from the Bible. You know, this is where a pastor and a teacher should thrive. When they're just opening God's Word and trying to call people to repentance and godliness. Proverbs 16, 18 warns, Pride comes before destruction, pride goeth before a fall. The person who thinks something about themselves that they aren't, well, we've seen a lot of those people fall in Christian ministry and in the world in general. When Christians stray from the message of Jesus, when they stray from God's Word, when they stray from the simple, the plain teaching of godliness, there's going to be exactly what verses 4 and 5 warn us about. There's going to be all kinds of arguments and strife and disagreement and conflict because it's just one guy's idea versus the next guy's idea. You can turn on your television and you can see these competing views of God going at it. One guy thinks, hey, if you give me a certain amount of money, a seed offering, I'll pray for you and all your dreams will come true. That's not in the Bible. And then you turn this, this guy on television, and this guy says, no, 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 no. You have to you know, abstain from these foods, and you have to observe the Sabbath this way, and you have to do this thing, and then God will bless you and give you everything that you want. Competing views, disagreement, strife. You want to know why? Neither one of those are from the Bible. You know what Paul says to Timothy? You take your church and you withdraw from those people. Let them battle it out among themselves. You warn the real Christians to avoid those people because those messages don't come from God. Okay, which brings me to my third point here. Godliness is not a means to gain. Did you hear that, Joel Olstein? Godliness is not a means to gain. Now, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But, verse 5, people who suppose that godliness is a means of gain will find a way to transform their ideas of godliness into a personal profit center for themselves. But that's not the answer. That's not the secret. The secret is right here in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Life without contentment means a life of envy because you're not content, so you're, you want what other people have. Life without contentment means a life of jealousy. It means a life of strife and struggle trying to attain. 
often a life of frustration. Envy, jealousy, strife, frustration, those are not characteristics of godliness. You can't have a life of godliness without contentment. Because life without contentment is ungodly things, ungodly feelings. And similarly, you can't have contentment without godliness. Life without godliness is an endless sense of restlessness with the earth's ideas of peace. Life without godliness is a life of personal desire and self-satisfaction. And at the end of it, it doesn't leave you very satisfied. It doesn't make you content. But godliness plus contentment? Great, great game. You can't really have one without the other. One leads to envy, strife, jealousy. The other leads to restlessness and a lack of peace. you got to have both. But if you can get both, you get gain. And look, I really want to close on this idea here. There are two reasons in the text. One is in verse 7. One is verse 8. Why godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, here's verse, here's verse 7. Okay? For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. So this is reason number one. First reason why godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Because we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain that we're going to take nothing out of the world. Most people come into the world with nothing. They spend their life gaining, losing, gaining again, losing again. Some people describe it as, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Some people two steps forward, one step back. But it's this endless back and forth struggle, okay? And at the end of it, they, they, they spend their life trying to hold on to everything it is that they've attained, for the duration of however long they live. And that's what life is. They come in with nothing. It's a struggle to gain, a struggle to get, a struggle to keep. And then they die and they lose everything, even their own soul. That's, that's most people. Now, Paul, pointing to this, pointing to the fact that we brought nothing into the world and it's certain that we'll carry nothing out, uses this as a reason to tell us that godliness with contentment is great gain. And, and here's what Jesus says about this. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? This is Matthew 16, 26 and 27. Even if you're content in life and you get to Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos level uh, material wealth, and even if you're materially content in life, without godliness, it's not great gain. Because, this is Jesus, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So, contentment minus godliness, it's not gain. Then Jesus says, Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then he will reward each according to his works. In other words, 
When Paul writes to Timothy, we've brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. What he's saying is there is no level of material wealth or possession in the world that ultimately leads to profitability on the other side of the equation, apart from godliness. There is no material wealth that can wipe out the total loss that comes with the destruction of one's soul in eternal hell. Um, if you if you live life always reaching for that next thing always saving for that next purchase always trying to get that next experience that next high you may get a lot of it on the earth but it is certain that you'll take nothing out of it do you know the house that you live in, do you know what's going to happen to it? It's going to burn. That house, that, that car, that job, it's all dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Ultimately, it will not be worth anything to you. Nothing. You may have a memory. What good is the memory? in the destruction of your soul. But you won't have any material possession of it any longer. Godliness with contentment is gain because if you can be content with what you have and godly, again, this is, this is Jesus, Matthew 16, 27. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For Jesus will come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. That's the gain. And the only way to get it is working for Jesus. Godliness plus contentment. Second reason why godliness plus contentment is great gain. Verse 8. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Um, I want to close in turning to Philippians chapter 4 and see if I can explain this. Philippians chapter 4, we're just going to read three verses, 11, 12, and 13. Okay? Philippians 4, 11, 12, and 13. I think that when I teach a message like this, when we're confronted by this message in the Bible, and we get it a lot in the Bible, there's a temptation to think, well, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but it does feel really good to buy the new car. And it does feel really nice to live in the nice house. And it does feel really good to have a good bank account. You know, these things, I hear what you're saying. You know, I know that you know, what you just said, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. We didn't bring anything in the world. We're not going to take anything out. I get that. But what I'm really striving for is godliness plus 
contentment defined as trying to get as much in the world as I can, but being okay with whatever I end up with, and then I'll go to heaven and ultimately I'll be okay. That's not what Paul's aiming at. Paul is not aiming at godliness plus try to go out and get a ton of material stuff in the world and be content with whatever you end up with. That's not what he's saying. He's saying godliness plus contentment, true contentment. Contentment means being satisfied with what you have. And then he goes a step further in the next verse and says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content. So Paul's working off a definition of contentment that does not need the nice car, the nice house, the nice clothes, the nice vacation, the nice thing. And he's saying godliness plus contentment equals great gain. And he starts off with the obvious, we're going to die and lose everything we have and stand before the Lord. But then he goes here, and this is why I want to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Now, listen to Paul describing this in verse 11. He says, not that I speak in regard to need. He's writing to the church in Philippi. He's saying, I'm not telling you these things because I, I need to get something from you. I'm not asking you to send a check in the mail. That's what he says. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Think about that. I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. You can learn contentment. The person who hears these instructions from 1 Timothy 6 and is like, yeah, but the nice car's really good still, and the house is really good still, and I know I shouldn't be you know, envious, jealous, or whatever, but, but I can still go out and try to get all the nice things. I just need to be content with whatever I end up with. No, no, because if you do that, you're not actually learning contentment. It's gain. It's profitable to learn contentment. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul is not saying, I learned because there was a time in my life when I was poor and I had to work really hard in that time when I was poor, and now that I've worked really hard, I've got better things. I've got good things. That's what that's how old married couples often talk, you know? Like, oh, we paid our dues, you know, we lived in the in the little house and we drove the cheap cars and, and now we're doing well, so we live in the big house and the and the nice cars. That's not what Paul is saying, no. He has been in both states. And he has actually learned to be content in both states. I'm, I'm not condemning nice houses or nice cars, okay? But if you, if, you, if you don't settle what it means to be content, then you're not getting the gain of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And here is the context of this 
famous next verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, who strengthens me, he is saying, I have learned the, the, the power of Jesus Christ by learning to truly be content in suffering and need, just as content as I am in riches and wealth. This is the message of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It is tremendously profitable to the Christian when they learn by the power of Jesus Christ to be just as content with nothing but food and clothing as they are living in a palace. That's not intuitive. You can't learn that on your own. The power of Jesus is the power to be content doing whatever He's called you to do, being freely and selflessly who He's called you to be, and not requiring big houses, fancy cars, nice clothes, to be content and happy. That's the great gain of 1 Timothy 6. Godliness plus contentment is great gain because godliness plus true contentment can only be understood and accomplished by the power of Jesus strengthening the believer to do things, to live a life in a certain way that they cannot live apart from Jesus. You take away a person's car and a person's house and a person's money and a person's nice things and they are not naturally content and satisfied and at peace and happy in Christ, happy in life. They are miserable and jealous and bitter and distraught and upset. The power to be content as Paul was and all things is the power of Jesus and knowing the power of Jesus is great gain thus godliness plus contentment is great gain Christian are you content are you content are you okay with what you have in this world as long as Jesus Christ is returning to give you a reward? Are you content to live a godly and quiet life with just food and clothing if it comes to it? As long as it means you get an eternal inheritance with Jesus? Or if we strip away your money, if we strip away your nice things and your earthly achievements, and if you're living in an apartment down the road with very little, does your satisfaction in this life that Jesus has called you to plummet?
It shouldn't. And if it does, then you have not learned to be content in all things, as Paul writes in Philippians 4.11. And if you haven't learned to be content, then I'm not sure, Philippians 4.13, you understand the power of Jesus that strengthens the Christian. When Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't need the fancy house or the big bank account or the car or the job or the nice clothes. I don't need them because I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. I don't need the bank account. I don't need the nice dinners. I don't need the house. And if I can do all things in the power of Jesus, I'm going to be in really good shape when He returns to reward those who served Him in good works. And at the end of the day, then, it's a matter of faith. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? If He is, that is great gain. That is great gain to realize that. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank You, and I pray that we will learn to be content, even if it means suffering, as it did for Paul. Pray, Father, that we won't hear this as a call to minimalist living. There's nothing inherently godly about having nothing. But there's something certainly godly in being content with nothing but food and clothing, what we need. Father, I ask that you'll give us all the blessing of suffering so that we understand that. That you'll give us all the profit of leaning entirely on you and being satisfied with what you provided. Help us to do well in our lives, in our plans and thoughts, and rely upon you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.